and welcome to another edition of the Ferncast. Today I'm joined with Phil Sturgeon from Protect Earth, a charity based in the UK which specifically works in uh, uh, tree planting. Thanks for joining us today, Phil. Hey, no worries. How's it going? Good, thank you. Um, so can you tell us more about what Protect Earth is and what you do? Yeah, we are a very small new charity. We've been going for about three years um, and we help we glue together money with the right place for trees so basically we work with uh, landowners who are struggling with you know falling through the cracks of government grants or don't have time to push through all the paperwork and and get that reforestation done um you know with which whichever step needs doing there's a, a forester who joked that planting a tree is step 42 of forestry and um some of those first 41 steps are pretty complicated so we're there to help with that and increasingly we're, we're buying our own land to restore now as well we we get the most marginal land possible that no one's really missing and and make nice big uh, nature reserves on that and tell me about um your story uh you say you previously worked in new york and technology and stuff so can you tell us more about your transition <laughs> from tech uh guy to tree guy yeah, very, very different life. Um, I'm originally from the West Country, um, but moved over to the States to to work for various tech startups that like to go bankrupt every now and then. And eventually I got play, I got bored of playing yo-yo and, and going between the UK whenever, I, whenever one of those companies failed. <laughs> and um, just went on a bit of an adventure cycling around Europe and noticed how knackered so much of the world is. Um, and then when I got back to the UK, it was right as lockdown was happening and I didn't really have anywhere to live because um, I've been living on a bike and uh, ended up on a staying on a farm for pretty much most of lockdown. And um, they were talking about how they really wanted to reforest a bunch of their land and they were really struggling to battle through all the paperwork. And I was like, how hard could it be? You know, <laughs> cocky white dude in tech, classic <laughs> response. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's actually really complicated and you have to you know, like trying to trying to get the ecological advice it involves paying someone who is incredibly expensive just to tell you whether you can't do it or not. Um, and then even if you can, you've got to chase down government grants and you've got to get permission from the local parish council and ask every single sheep in the area what they think about it. And it just gets really complicated. So um, we figured if, if this farmer wants to plant trees on their land but can't figure it out and doesn't have time to, there's got to be other people in that situation. And we ended up kind of getting referred around. And, and yeah, now we're on about 50 different farms um, and, and, and random bits of land. There's a few like hotels and um, the side of a motorway somewhere. And, you know, we're, we're planting in all sorts of places that, that otherwise would have fallen through the cracks and leveraging technology to make that happen. Um, we're really lucky to have amazing funding partners like Ecology with an I because they're a tech startup and you have to spell things wrong if you're a tech company. Um, and uh, they they can help us. Uh, basically, we've got an iPhone app and we can take a photograph of every tree that we plant. And so they defer judgment to us of put the right tree in the right place. They just provide the money for it. So we can plant, um, you know, the government says a shelter belt must be 10 meters wide. And we're like, well, five is actually perfectly effective and you can do that. Um, and it helps us get around kind of minimum requirements of planting, you can have blocks of any size and shape you want. Um, and uh, yeah using tech to, to help not just plant trees but increasingly get folks paying for wildflower meadows um, hedgerows and um, eventually we'll we'll figure out how to get people excited about re-wetting peat bogs by the square meter or something but we're <laughs> we're getting there kind of using tech to just kind of make things happen so 
on that using the technology side um i suppose that's fairly innovative for uh, the tree planting industry uh, i know there are innovations in the industry and the forestry commission is you know looking at different ways to uh, develop do you believe that you know technology and and what your charity is providing is uh, key to actually making this a success or do you think for example um this could be done in a more uh, basic way yeah it's it's tricky um initially we had the requirement of kind of photographing every single tree which was great when you're doing if, if you're doing 500 trees on a farm it's still not great to have to go and plant uh, to photograph 500 trees and yeah. down the species of all of them it can be a real pain in the backside and some shelter belts have 2,000 trees and we've done you know um 4,000 on one farm and that was just pretty horrendous um so it, it can it can be difficult but I think in increasingly some of the funding partners we work with are, uh, have built up enough trust with us that they're like, okay, you don't have to actually photograph every single tree. Mm -hmm. um, you can just kind of photograph some establishing shots um, and then kind of provide us, you know, a reasonable amount of evidence of, of what you've done without having to photograph everything. Because um, trying to trying to do larger projects where you're photographing every single tree is is just getting silly. Um, there's a lot of other sorts of tech that are involved with evidence over time especially on kind of landscape scale recovery where people are using things like lidar drones mm -hmm. to kind of um you, you can do before during and after um to to kind of count the amount of above ground vegetation right you can you can get all algorithmic about it and, and figure out how much carbon is actually being sequestered by flying those drones around and that's a little bit out of my expertise but but um that's kind of where it's going and and in the in the Slightly easier as well is uh, things like Restore. Again, it's a, tax, a tech startup, so they spelled it wrong. It's like R-E-S-T-O-R. -E um, initially, a, a Google uh, tool platform where you can upload a, a GIS file of, of the area of land you've been doing something with, and it can use AI looking at satellites to figure out how many trees are there and what sort of species there are. Really clever stuff. Um, and that provides kind of independent proof to other people that you're actually doing what you said you are because you're like i planted you know 10 acres of, of land here and they're like no you didn't we can see that you didn't <laughs> so, so um, they've got real-time uh you know satellite imagery then is that is it uh i don't think it's real time i think it's kind of annual because it is quite expensive to buy some of that satellite data there are companies out there that will help you as a paying customer monitor your bit of land in more real time mm -hmm. um, but seeing as restore is trying to do like all over the world they're they're not doing that as far as i know but it will show year on year improvements and sometimes more frequently than that that is that is rather interesting look i, I want to ask more about you know how protect earth collaborates with their other environmental organizations in the field i mean what what, what collaboration projects have you got on at the moment hope to do yeah, there's there's quite a few. I mean, like I said, you know, planting a tree, step 42. Um, there's there's a lot of other people involved with different parts of the puzzle earlier on. So sometimes you've got organizations that are running around talking to local landowners, getting them interested in, in um, planting up some trees or getting some more hedgerows or shelter belts. And then they kind of need help with the ecological advice. Um, but they have plenty of volunteers, so they don't need help with that but they might not have any funding, so they do need help with that. So we've worked with lots of these kind of local community groups. Um, we've worked with folks like Avon Needs Trees, who are getting 
money from groups like the National Lottery Heritage Fund and Forest of Avon and these other kind of local forest um, community groups. And and they've got the land um, and they they then don't they, they don't have the money for actually buying the trees because the government grants aren't working out. So we can just give them the trees and go and take some photos later. So there's there's all these different collaborations where whichever piece of the puzzle you don't have covered, we can figure it out. Um, like restoring hard knot forest, they're they're doing a great job up there. And again, they just they just wanted some trees, so we're just you know they've already figured out exactly what to do. They've got the ecological advice. They just don't have the money. So whichever piece of the puzzle is missing, we can plug those gaps. So are you, for example, uh, have do you have your own nursery and with saplings growing and stuff? No, we. There are lots of charities out there doing a great job at kind of doing community run hyper local nurseries. Mm-hmm. So. Um, more trees, bath, and um, uh, f- I think forest trees as well. There's there's lots of these charities and organisations spread around the country that focus on doing that, and so we like to direct the money to them. Um, and it means we can focus on not just uh, native saplings, but kind of local native saplings, mm-hmm. where we're getting exactly the right seed provenance for the area instead mm-hmm. of sticking London trees up in North Wales or whatever. You can you can get trees that are conditioned for that area with the appropriate genetic deviations for for that area. And, and is that is that done through GIS mapping and stuff like that? Uh, when you're a tree nursery, that is done. You, you register with the Forestry Commission, and then you have like a certain code. So there's kind of Cornwall and Devon is one number. I forget all the numbers offhand. It's like 301 is is the southwest and 302 is Cornwall and Devon. And, um, you know, 404 is like uh, West Midlands, things like that. All across the country, there's different numbers. Um, and you th- there's no real rules saying that you have to use local ones. There's a lot of larger ENGOs that just kind of have massive contracts with one nationwide supplier and they just fire those trees out all over the country wherever you are but that's what i wanted to (laughs) i wanted to ask about because you know uh, around our area in the northwest and cumbria and lancashire there's a lot of tree planting going on but um a lot of it's on the side of new road developments and stuff which is obviously part of the Mm -hmm. remit that they have to do um but a lot of the time you see uh you see those little you know, yellow tubes or white tubes uh-huh. and there's nothing in it because obviously they've died up. How do you ensure, you know, longevity of the projects? I yeah, mean, it's but, tough. You know, because for them, for example, it's probably just a, a tick, ticking box exercise rather than yeah, yeah. an ecologist being on board to actually make sure that actually works. So Yes, absolutely. I mean, survival rates are a really complicated topic. Um First of all, it's important to mention that no one plants them expecting all of them to survive. No. Um, so if you're if you're really lucky, like an eighty percent survival rate is good. Um, they most people use the um, use an approach called overstocking, where you plant more than you expect, mm-hmm. um, more than you need, expecting some to die off because it is incredibly hard to for uh, to get those trees to survive. Um, and then that means if you and end up having too many of them survive, you go and thin them out a little bit later, which is easier than trying to, you know, whack an old tree in. Um, but yeah, keeping that survival rate as high as you can is is important. And there's lots of things that can be done. For starters, just the right tree selection, the right species sh- uh, selection will go a long way. Um, depending on the specific type of soil and the profile of the land and mm-hmm. the proximity to water, and and also like which way is it facing uh, which way is the, the slope facing if it's south facing you're gonna get a lot more direct sun than if it's not um and and things like what you're planting it with so there's different types of tree guards 
and the the big green tool ones, the deer proof guards you see a lot of, mm-hmm. um, those are pretty good at providing like a a bit of a microclimate for the tree. So if it's somewhere that can get very cold um, year round, then that can be quite helpful because it, it keeps a certain amount of warmth in there. Um, and if you have the opposite problem where it's somewhere like the southeast of England, which gets incredibly dry, um, you know, the summer 2022 heat wave, we had projects where we lost between 50 and 100% of our trees. Oh, wow. That was awful. Thankfully, you know, there were only a, a handful of 100% we had two smaller sites with 100% losses, um, like 500 trees at a time. But yeah, ev- even with a huge amount of watering, it can be quite hard when there's extreme drought. Um, y- you don't want to do too much watering. Honestly, people people think of planting like a nice big tree in their garden. You want to water the heck out of that. The bigger mm-hmm. the tree, the more it needs watering. But when you're planting these um, kind of two or three-year-old um, bare root whips, you generally don't water them um, because... Firstly, the, the, the time, effort and money involved is pretty ridiculous. But the emissions involved with driving water tankers around and tractors and IBCs um, is, is pretty high and that's going against the purpose. Um, and and the general advice is if you know there's a really bad drought coming, wait until afterwards. <laughs> but the way that our summers are going, they're all bad. So there's kind of a, a bit more of an approach of just get on with it and re- you know replace your losses. And if you think about it, if you even if you do get 50% losses, um, then next year you plant a bunch more and you get 50% losses. And next year you plant a bunch more. Um, the amount of loss is getting less each time. And the the taller those trees are, the, the, the further their roots are going down, the more water they found, the better they'll do. But the last thing I'll say on it is that there are things you can do to improve your odds. So we will kind of um, hand pull all of the all of the weeds nearby. Um, you can do screefing to you know scrape off a bunch of the grass. You can even cut the grass turf and invert it so that it becomes a mulch mat. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy you can buy mulch mats like um, hemp or flax mm-hmm. that are biodegradable, reducing the amount of plastic nonsense in the environment. Um, and and those will really help to kind of keep water in the soil, keep direct uh, sunlight from drying it out. And make sure that the water can physically pass through the roots of the grass. Right. Because a lot of people just bung it straight through the grass and the water never gets through. Um, so if you do all of that, you can you can get closer to 80% than 50% or less, you know. So you picked up a few techniques along the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> Protect Turf has a goal to expand internationally, it says on your website. Do, can you discuss any upcoming projects or partnerships that, you know, that aim to toward this global outreach effort? We have been focusing on the UK since I wrote that because we ended up getting um, a few bits of land in the UK um, that, mm. that, that need quite a lot of work. Um, we've got a 60-acre ancient woodland, uh, 65 acre down in Cornwall, uh, which is where I am now. Um, and we're having to do a huge amount of, of um, thinning and, and management work to get rid of the old uh, non-native conifers and, and restore that as a temperate rainforest. And we've got two bits of um, kind of marginal um, hillland in in Wales that that need a fair amount of planting, um, but there are hopes and goals of working. The closer to the equator you get, the more of an impact you're having. The more um, effective photosynthesis time there is mm. for those trees, um, and and the more kind of heat you are bouncing. So I would really love to work in the south of Spain and in Portugal. Um, we have we have. Uh, friends in the area who are acquiring land and maybe we can partner up with them to become protector of Portugal but there's very early early stages at the moment 
I mean, there's a there is a lot of uh, environmental projects and startup start in in Lisbon and stuff at the moment. Um, I've I've noticed a few of them uh, developing. Do you think there's uh, more scope for different species and stuff in the UK, or is it is it all very nativist in terms of its planting format? Yeah, we we're kind of sticking with native and naturalized um, species at the moment, and there's a lot of people talking about how we'll need to diversify away from just things that would have been in the UK and start thinking about what should be in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tree species are migrating north, and there's a sea in the way, so. Um, up in Scotland, they're planting things that would have only been seen in, in kind of the south of England um, decades ago. But uh, really, yeah, that's actually not... happening that much. Scotland, Devon to yes. uh, Dumfries, is it? You're gonna, yeah, basically, um, just in the in the way that kind of French vineyards have moved to you know Surrey or whatever. That there is a migration of of um, appropriate climate for certain species, and this isn't my area of expertise, but from memory, I think it's like beech trees are a lot more common being planted in Scotland now, which mm. people have opinions about. Um, but yeah, there there will be a kind of a migration of species over time, and so what we're doing at the moment is um, instead of just planting the species that would have been here, we are thinking about what should, but sticking with native and naturalized for now. Um, so a lot more hornbeam and um uh i forgot the other one there's a few species that are more drought tolerant than than what maybe would have been in that that woodland before it was cleared you know yeah i mean that is one thing to think about isn't it in the next few years about what we're going to do with this climate change issue because it's not changing it's not getting better is it no by 2030 we're supposed to have the 2022 summer like regularly that'll make that one look good um, so that's just going to be normal summer now. So yeah, we absolutely have to start thinking about uh, really upping our mulch game, like six inches versus uh, six inches of wood chip instead of um, instead of just a little hemp mm-hmm. mulch mat. Things yeah, like no. that will really help keep moisture in the water. But what they're doing down in in Portugal and Spain is you know really pioneering, and and other places I think Morocco too is really pioneering the way for what we will have to be doing in the UK in the future which is um, they're doing de-desertification down there, which is amazing. There's um, Land Life Company have developed something they call a cocoon, which is like a, a cardboard water tank. Um, and you bury that in the ground and plant the tree in the middle of this kind of donut ring donut shape. Um, and then that can get its roots out into the water channel and, and help the moisture stay in the soil. So you can actually kind of reverse desertification. Um, and if they're able to do that, I think we'll be able to plant trees even when things get harsher. We're just going to have to get more intelligent. And again, technology is helping us out. We've got kind of 50 plus sites around the country and I'm not going to phone up every single farmer and go like, how's the weather been lately? Because that's a long chat. Uh, but if you can, um, we're using kind of uh, weather um, forecasting and, and monitoring um, to find out which sites have had more water than others. And then we can kind of pair that with what we what we know about the soil type and proximity to water to, to prioritize where we'll go and water instead of trying to water everywhere or just watering the ones that are easiest to water because that's right. not very helpful yeah um how are you in terms of uh the you know lineup for the next year moving forward and stuff do you have a lot of projects ready to go or are you still looking for more or yeah we're still looking for more we we were expecting to be really busy planting our larger sites um in wales this winter but currently rural payments wales has, has said that they don't really have any money for tree planting right now mm-hmm. and so even though we're the land was rated highly on their score of like we want to plant you know we, we're likely to fund this land 
um, they're just kind of saying no. <laughs> so we've actually got quite, we're doing, we're leaning a little bit harder on uh, landowner projects, as we call them, people who have land that would like to plant. Um, and yeah, we're, we've got quite a few last minute people come through. It's been quite nice. So just kind of tweeted out like, hey, we've actually got availability. Who wants some trees? And a bunch of people went, yeah, please. Um, so if anyone's listening, you can go to like, protect.earth slash landowners. Um, and there's a form where you just kind of go like, this is how much land I have that I'd like to plant. And this is what I'm interested in. And you can do field trees or shelter belts or woodlands or we're not doing hedgerows right now because they're harder to fund, but hopefully next year. But yeah, we're also kind of lining things up for next winter as well, because, you know, the larger sites need to go through the government and the government is a massive bottleneck for all of this. Mm, so the yeah. sooner we can start planning, the better. So that's the issue, isn't it? I mean, you're you're. You can do more. You have the capacity for more, but uh, legislation and you know government bureaucracy yeah. is effectively slowing you down. That's that's the message. Exactly. So is is there ways to do this that you don't have to interact with the government? For example, um, is is there you know potential other organisations that you could team up with? You know that could you know because it's about funding, yeah. isn't it? At the end. Of the day? It's partially about funding, but not entirely. Like I said, we have our own funding partners who will help pay, you know, they, they want, they have more funding to plant trees than we can actually plant ourselves. Like it, it's, it's mad. There's a lot of interest. These are the sort of things where you go on a website and it's like, buy a t-shirt and we'll plant a tree or whatever, or yeah. all of those various businesses or even individuals with subscriptions. They just want to save the planet a little bit and they call it like the Netflix for climate action. There's, there's all these different people with all these different reasons and some of it may be you know, far closer to greenwashing than I'm always happy about and some of it is just altruism but whatever the, the, the requirement is there's lots of people that want to pay for trees and there's quite a lot of people that, that want their trees planted but it, it depends it depends on a few things um, partly you need the money to be able to buy the trees and plant the stuff um, as you can do up to it depends where you are in the country but you can do a certain number of hectares before you need to get permission from the government, which is uh, called an environmental impact assessment. And it's somewhere between two and four hectares, depending on England, Wales, Scotland, Island, uh, Northern Ireland. And it depends if you're in like a triple SI or a, a AONB, um, they will lower the amount you're allowed to do before you get permission. Um, and, but when it comes around to getting permission, it, it can take quite a long time to get the thumbs up that you're allowed to do what you want to do. And when it's a much larger project um, and you start having extra complications like there's deer fencing that needs to go up or you have to do a huge amount of stock proof fencing or any of these kind of extra bits it gets outside of the funding that these kind of will pay you per tree um, uh, funding partners are able to offer um, and it so it means that if you want deer fencing or stock fencing you basically have to go through the government grant process regardless of size and there's also the problem that if you if you are interested in getting a income for the land that you're essentially giving up, which not everyone is, but some people are, um, some farmers are saying like, oh, I could I could graze that field. Why would I plant it full of trees if I get nothing out of it apart from having a field full of trees? Some people just want a field full of trees, right? Because they've got a big enough chunk of land, yeah. they can give up a little bit. But some people really need that income, and or so even if it's if marginal you... land, yeah. So they're, yeah, they're yeah, not exactly. going to use it for animals or whatever. Yeah, so you are you are giving up an income, and and ideally. Some people, you know, some people want to replace that income. Completely understandable, um, and so for that to happen, you have to go through the government grant process. Um, you'll get maintenance payments that can be quite sizable. 
Um, and the English Woodland Creation offer comes with lump sum payments, like if it's close to a river, if it's um, close to a footpath or you add a footpath in, uh, you can get these extra lump sum payments per hectare, which make it worth your while. Um, and then you get the ongoing kind of carbon income of as your trees grow and sequester, you get more of these credits released and say, here's a bit of extra money. Thank you very much. So you get decades worth of income. So when we're lucky enough to have the, you know, altruistic landowners that want them for whatever reason, like I said, sometimes there's, um, they want a shelter belt that'll keep the wind off their cows. They don't care about getting money for that. Their income is, you know, feeding their cows less, um, from shivering. <laughs> uh, or we've had a, a hotel, uh, no, we had a, um, a wedding venue on an old farm that had this very open landscape around them and you could see and smell a nearby sewage plant oh, <laughs> and no. wanted to plant a whole bunch of trees around the edge of that to, to block that off um, which has worked out quite well so there's many reasons why people m might want trees but if you if you want income for it you have to go through the government and they're the ones that right now despite us only ever hitting like 20 to 50 percent of our national goals they're the ones going eh can't really afford it right now let's not and just holding up the works for nine months a year you know it's it's a Real, real shame. Well, lots to do then, and lots to move forward. But now, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm just going to say at the end, um, how, how can individuals and communities get involved with Protector? Um, can you tell us more on how how can they reach you if they're more interested yeah. to talk? We're on all the social media. Um, well, some of it. There's a lot more of it now. <laughs> we're on Instagram and Twitter as uh, Protect Earth UK. Uh, we're always posting about what we're up to. The the website protect.earth, um, you can sign up as individual volunteers if you just want to come along. Dogs, kids, welcome. Um, you can come and help us plant trees. We're cutting down some some Christmas tree-sized conifers in one of our woods soon. Um, all sorts of jobs. There's there's kind of... Uh, we've got some some litter picking uh, to do at some point. There's like historic fly tipping near one of our sites in Wales, and we're helping clear up um, some of that mess with like really old-fashioned televisions. But um, there's corporate volunteering too, so that's that's quite helpful. That helps mm -hmm. to sustain us um, because folks can pay, you know, per head and come and do corporate team um, building uh, and plant some trees. And yeah, there's there's other stuff. Um, like I said, landowners can sign up if they want to plant their land. Volunteers can sign up. Um, and, and you can donate as well. We 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 pride ourselves on offering a very specific, direct um, way to donate, which is you can donate to the general fund, which is mm -hmm. going to go on all the, you know, uh, salaries and team training and making sure that I'm chainsaw qualified and someone else is first aid qualified. All the important things. <laughs> um, but then we also have uh, um, the land fund, which is specifically for buying land. Not a penny of that is spent on CEO bonuses. We don't have a CEO. Um, and then there's the biodiversity fund, which funds uh, wildflower meadows and hedgerows and other things that, that just literally can't get funding in, mm -hmm. in other ways. So you can pick where your money goes. Great, great. Um, well, I think people will understand the uh, situation about trees a lot better now in the UK and uh, uh, if you want to reach out to Phil Phil did you give your uh, personal Twitter handle as well? Oh yeah I'm Phil Sturgeon on Twitter and Blue Sky and Mastodon and other places I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> the world's gone mad there's so many of them now thanks to Elon Musk uh, yeah um, yeah okay great um, thanks for joining us today um, and we wish you the best of luck with your uh, projects and hopefully you can plant uh, many more trees and that the 
you know, authorities support your uh, endeavours. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Daniel. No problem. Thank you.